Well, let's dive in. Um, and let me start by this, saying this. People are unique, aren't they? People are, are unique. And it's just fascinating to see how God has wired us different and giving us different combinations of things, our interests and our, our preferences and, and, and our gifts and all these things. Um, there are some people who are more extroverted and some that are more introverted. There are some who are more thinking-oriented and some that are more feeling-oriented. There are those who are more organized and others that tend to be more spontaneous. There are those who like country music, and there's those who should, right? <laughs> Can I get a yeehaw from somebody? All right. Well, there, there's a whole lot of ways that we're different from one another, and one of them is that some people tend to be more savers. Some people, you're still stuck on country, aren't you? Really? We've got people, shit, you're in the country, are you kidding me? Anyway, but, but some people are more savers, right? Some, of, some people are more savers, and some are more tossers. And generally, we lean one way or another. How many of you generally lean saver? You, you tend to save maybe more than you should. How many of you tend to be tossers? Get rid of it, all right? We tend to lean one or the other. And if you are an extreme saver or an extreme tosser, it can work against you. It can work against you. Those of you who are extreme savers, there's a chance you could end up on a reality show. <laughs> and it wouldn't be in a flattering light, right? And those who are tossers, those of us who are tossers, we always end up tossing things that we shouldn't have. It always happens. Last week, we launched a brand new teaching series that we're calling Simply Living. And it's a series that's designed to help us eliminate words from our vocabulary and our lives, like overscheduled and overcommitted and overextended and overwhelmed. And may I present to you, if you're a saver, you're going to have a natural inclination to, instead of moving towards a life that's more simple or a simpler life, you're going to have a tendency to live towards a life that has greater complexity because you're saving things, you know? And, and you're saving more stuff and you're saving more momentums and you're saving more pictures and you're, you're, you're inviting more people into your life or you're just not cutting them out, right? Or more activities. And, and, and there's so much going on. May I present to you, although you probably already know this, Sometimes when you get too much, you can't enjoy any of it, and, and you just end up stressed out and, and maybe even burned out. So if you're a saver, you have to be careful you can end up saving too much. Well, on the other end of the continuum, those of us who tend to be the more the tossers, in a quest to simplify our lives, sometimes we can end up working against ourselves there too. If you're a tosser, I guarantee you at least once you've tossed something in your quest to get everything out of the house that isn't nailed down, you've tossed something, and then someone comes up to you and says, where's that thing? And people are looking at each other. Yeah, there is that thing. That happens, right? It happens. Well, beyond that, if you're, if you're a tosser by nature, we have to be careful because a lot of times we end up tossing, besides physical things, we end up cutting things from our lives that maybe we shouldn't cut. As we try to simplify we end up cutting things like maybe a vacation or cutting days off or cutting relationships or community or exercise or unhurried conversations or cutting silence or cutting reflection or cutting personal development, cutting family time, outside time, date nights, prayer, reflecting on scriptures. And some of the people that are the, quote, most productive, or you look at them and you'd say they're the most successful, you go behind the scenes and they've cut things that they shouldn't have, a lot of them. Things that they really regret later because they cut things that were actually the most important rather than things that they thought were the most important. In our fast-paced, complex culture, if you're a saver by nature or a tosser by nature or somewhere in between, 
it's so important that we, we're reflective of what are we keeping intentionally, what are we cutting intentionally. That's what we want to press into today. You know, how do we know what to keep? How do we know what to cut? Well, this series has a thesis behind it that forms the backbone of our series. If you are here last week, you got it. I'm sure you've memorized it. You've been reflecting it on all week. Um, if not, here, here it is. This is the thesis of our series. The natural outcome of following Jesus is a more focused and peace-filled and productive and rewarding life, and I'm not over-promising here. I'm certainly over-promising if you're just going to be simple about this and you're casual towards it and you're just like, oh, yeah, I follow Jesus kind of. No. Following Jesus wholeheartedly, it's not just one of these things. It's not just two of these things. It is the natural outcome of following Jesus. It's, it is a more focused life. It is a more peace-filled life. It is a more productive in the things that matters most life. It is a more rewarding life. Jesus of Nazareth, whether you're going to embrace him as a son of God, he lived a life worth imitating. And his teachings are worth paying attention, attention to. One of the lessons that we can learn from Jesus' life and his teaching is this. There's a place to write this in your notes as well. Jesus taught his disciples to prioritize before they prune. And looking back on this, I probably should have, oh, you underlined it. Way to go, Joel. Um, you may want to emphasize that word. You may want to circle it in your notes. Before they prune. What, it does, what Jesus taught his disciples is before you start saying no, say yes first. Before you just try to start saying no to things, what are you saying yes to? This imagery of pruning is imagery that he gave us. He gave us this metaphor on, on the night of his betrayal. Um, if you're sitting in the back or if you're listening to the podcast up in front here, I've got a, a box, and in the box I've got a grapevine, and I've got big clusters of grapes. And one of the analogies, one of the, actually it's a metaphor that Jesus gave us was this metaphor. Of, he said, I am the vine, and you're the branches. And apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And, and what Jesus tried to teach his disciples is don't just start hacking off branches, you know, indiscriminately. What you want to do with this metaphor, when, when you're trying to, to prune a grapevine, the point isn't cutting off branches. The point is to grow great what? Grapes. So you start with what do I actually want? What, what, am I, what is my yes? What, what are my great grapes? That's what you start with before you just start cutting. What's your yes before you start with your no's? Um, in our real life uh, examples, here, take, take a look. at this. this is a quote from a book. Um, in your notes, I recommend a book called Simplify by Bill Hybels. Great book. Great book. Read chapter one. Just commit to reading chapter one and see if you want to read more after that. He writes this in his book. He says, when we eradicate clutter from our lives, we create a vacuum that aches to be filled. Can you relate to that? You carve out a little bit of space in your life. You, you, you stop doing one activity, and here's 20 more that are looking for a way in, right? Or, or you clean out a closet, and here's two closets worth of stuff that's looking for a new home. It, it just That's how life is. You're never trying to just go about life by saying no. That's like trying to empty the ocean with a bucket. It just doesn't work. You have to say, what is my yes? What are my yeses? That's where we need to start. What should we say yes to first? What should we seek first? The classic text on seeking first, I don't know if we've ever looked at this one. We used to sing a song at camp all the time, seek first the kingdom of God. I don't know if we ever really dug into this text, so let's do it today. Here's the classic text, a teaching from Jesus about seeking first. What goes on your calendar first? Before you start saying no, what goes on there first? Here's, here's a text that speaks to that. Matthew chapter 6, 
we're going to look at, starting with verse 25. I want to let you know, too, um, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. We keep a stack of them at the table there, stack there. They're for you, not to just borrow when you come. We'd love for you to take it home with you as a gift. All right? Um, let me frame this passage a little bit because instead of just reading the whole thing, we're going to break it into little pieces. Uh, so here's what the whole thing says in a, in a summary. In this passage, you've got Jesus, and he's sitting on a stunning hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, through whom all things were made, draws everyone's attention to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And then he rhetorically asks, if God cares for the birds and the flowers as he does, how much more will he care for his followers? Then Jesus gives a powerful invitation for us to embrace each moment as an opportunity to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we do that, Jesus says, I will provide for you as only I can. Right, so that's the whole uh, thing in a summary. Let's now take it piece by piece as Jesus actually said it. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to look at the first verse here. First, uh, chapter 6, verse 25. The words of Jesus, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? All right, let me say a couple things about this. This passage opens with the word what? Therefore. If I've learned anything about the Bible, when you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask what it's therefore, right? And we are going to, next week, I want to encourage you to come back because this passage, it naturally follows what comes before it. And Jesus gives a teaching on two masters. You cannot serve two masters. So we're going to come back to that, but this idea falls out of there or follows from that. Another thing I want to mention here before we go any further is the context here, Jesus is primarily talking to peasants here. He is primarily talking to people who had very, very little. And when I say very, very little, I mean very, very little. They lived in homes that could fit into some of our garages and weren't as nice. Most of their daily routine centered around this stuff. What will we eat tomorrow? Literally, what will we eat it's their routine centered around their day-to-day -day existence. They did their best to gather enough food to eat, possibly a little extra to sell or barter for the rest of life's necessities. And with no margin really to speak of, they were forced on top of that to pay heavy taxes to an occupying army and to local officials who used their hard-earned money to fund luxurious living. For the crowd that heard these words from Jesus' lips, the question of whether or not they would have food to eat, that was real. It was a very real worry for them. Will I have enough to eat? Will I have enough clothes to wear? And to those people who had very real things to worry about, I mean, life and death stuff, Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry. And we don't know for sure what language Jesus used um, at that time if he spoke it in Greek as Matthew wrote it, or if he spoke it in Aramaic. But Matthew did write it in Greek, and he used this word up there, and my Greek and Hebrew, I won't even pretend I know Greek or Hebrew, but Mary Manaho, I got it pretty close? Mary Manaho. All right, we'll pretend it's Mary Manaho. Um, he used this word, Mary Manaho, and it's an interesting word. We translate it as worry. It's a word that's neutral. When we think of worry, we almost always think of it as a negative. That word itself, it is neutral. In fact, in the scriptures, it's used sometimes positively. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. In this letter, which was a real first century letter, a disciple of Jesus named Paul, he affirms those who choose to remain single. He says, if you choose to remain single, you can marry Menaho about the Lord's work. Instead of Mary Menahoing, that's really good Greek right there, Mary Menahoing about your spouse and what they need. You can focus, you can Mary Menaho totally about God's work. And then there's another passage in uh, Philippians, another letter. In the letter uh, to the Philippians, Paul writes and, and he commends to the Philippians this young man named Timothy. He says, Timothy is a guy who Mary Menaho is about you. I want to commend him because he, he worries about you. And so he's commending it. That's a good thing. So worry, at least it's, as Jesus is presenting it here, worry, it, it can be a good thing if you're worrying about the right thing or if you're worrying in the right way. So the issue is not where you, whether you marry Menaho, it's how you marry Menaho and what you marry Menaho about. Now, I looked at a number of sources here to prepare for today, and, and for the first time, I, I saw a commentator use the phrase, idolatry of worry. Isn't that rich? We could spend the rest of the time, hey, just talk to the person next to you and, and talk about that idolatry of worry. Worry can be something that can take a wrong place in our life. Your worry may be your next meal. You know, I know there's some people where things are really tight at home. And your worry might be, can we buy groceries this week? But for many, it's not that. It's your worry is your job or your kids or your marriage or whether or not you'll get married. It could be your 401K. It could be your health insurance. It could be the fact that you don't have health insurance. It could be your health itself. I know it could be that. It could be the health of a loved one. For a whole lot of our teens, most of the teens in this area, when they start getting closer, further into high school, they're worried it's college. You know, are my grades high enough or my ACT or my XYZ or my whatever score is high enough, right? Am I in the right activities? Worry can be an idol. Worry can be an idol when it diverts our trust and our devotion to a lesser source of help or security or strength. Now, that same commentary had some interesting things because it didn't just use the phrase idolatry of worry. It also said this. Listen to this picture. They said, we're daily crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. Isn't that rich? And into our world, there is a God he wants to challenge the idol of worry for supremacy in your life. And not only that, there is a Savior who wants to teach us how to not be between those two thieves, but instead how to tackle today's problems with today's strength. As object lessons to this end, Jesus, remember, where was Jesus when he was telling these things? He was on a mountain. He was overlooking this beautiful Sea of Galilee, right? He just points to objects right around him, objects that through him were made, all right? He, so he made the objects that are or through him, the objects that were made that were part of this object lesson. So let's pick up back in our text. So now Jesus says, don't worry, and then he points to these great object lessons. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field 
grow, how they grow. They don't labor, they don't spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So again, Jesus is literally on a mountain. He pointed to, I bet he pointed to birds that were soaring on the updrafts, right? That were darting into the sea and above the sea. And, and, and he points to them, right? And then the word translated here is lily. Interesting word. It, it, it encapsulates all of these flowers you're about to see on the screen that I, again, I won't pretend I know these these flowers, but I looked them up. I gave uh, the words there. Joel actually was able to find pictures. These are, are flowers that fit within the category that Jesus used with the words there, and they're found in Galilee. They are, there's autumn crocus. There's red and purple anemones. There's blue irises and gladioluses and all these flowers. I wouldn't know what they look like unless someone found pictures for me. But they're beautiful, and Jesus was able to say, look at right here, these flowers. Look at these. Look at that. Jesus drew their attention to these wonders of creation, and then he continued. Let's pick up with uh, verse 30. He says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? Hey, those who are not my people run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them too. Well, the scriptures reveal that it was through Christ that all things were made. Acts, the book of Acts says, in him we live and move and have our being. He better than anyone else understands the engineering that went into a bird. He gets that. He better than anyone else understands the artistry that went into those flowers. And that same God, he knows what we need most. He knows what we need most. The word of God says, before a prayer is on our lips, he knows it. He knows what we need most. And then he points us to a path that will lead us there. Now, I'm going to switch versions, translations here. I want to read the last two verses of this passage as they're rendered in the ESV, which tends to be a more literal translation. If this is literal, then this is a profound teaching and a powerful invitation. Jesus then said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you need will be added unto you. Then he says this, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Can I get an amen to that? That is just a true statement. He is not saying there's not going to be trouble. He's saying there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So you'll get there and there'll be trouble. So don't worry, it'll be there, right? Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Don't worry about those troubles. They're coming. Let, let's, let's focus on what's at hand here. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And if you seek me first, the kingdom of God, my righteousness, what you need will be added unto you. Jesus does not promise an easy life for believers. In fact, he guarantees the opposite. Life is going to be filled with challenges. It is going to be filled with complexities that are bigger than any one of us. Every day will have its own trouble. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, you don't have to worry the way the world worries. You don't have to stress the way the world stresses. You don't have to run after those things the way the world runs after them. Because you can place your faith in God. Just as our Heavenly Father knows what birds need to sing and soar, 
Just as our Heavenly Father knows what a flower needs to bring forth beauty from dirt, He knows what we need in any given moment of any day, and I'm pounding this desk because I need to hear this really bad. He knows also what we don't need. And he's good enough to prune away the things that we don't need if we'll let him. And that last phrase, so if we'll let him. Birds generally do what God wants them to do. Flowers do what God wants them to do. He's given us more choice than that. He created us in his image. And we can say, I don't want to do what you want me to do, or I'm just going to ignore what you want me to do. And that brings us to, you know, every, every week, I, I do my best to say, God, would you give us a word today? I, I, I never want to give a talk. I never want to give a message. And I think I mentioned this last week. It messes me up because I thought I could basically just not plagiarize his book, but at least use it more than I am. But I prayed, God, you have a word for us. I feel like this is the word that really was, was impressed upon me. It was actually a picture. I saw my pruning shears, right? And, and when I thought of a lot of us, and I thought, you know, this is what we're doing. And I know most of you, so you don't do this on purpose. I don't do this on purpose, but I feel like this is what we do. Instead of taking our pruning shears and pruning off the right things that we should prune off, we just go right to the vine, and we clip the vine when we get busy. We clip the vine at the root. We're too busy for the things that matter most instead of clipping the things that do. Now, if I was Jesus, I'd probably just say, that's it, all right, go think about that. We'll see you next week. I'm too insecure. I feel like I gotta say more, so let me just build on that. If you wanna just, for the rest of the time, think about that picture. I think that was the word, so just think about it, but let me add on that. Again, I don't think any of us do it on purpose, but we get caught up in the culture around us, and the culture around us is not seek first the kingdom culture. It is seek first other things culture. And if we just do what everyone around us do, if we just get in the flow of that, we're going to seek first good grades. Are good grades good? Yes. Is seeking first good grades good? No. We'll end up seeking first all conference or seeking first first chair. We'll seek first the college of our choice. We'll seek first a higher paying job. We'll seek first newer and better toys. We'll seek first a bigger house. We'll seek first the most entertaining entertainment. We'll seek first a new high score. This is a lot to worry about. And as we're seeking all those things first, again, that's where that picture comes in. I feel like we too often we actually cut the vine. We cut ourselves off from focused one-on-one -on -one time with our Creator and Savior. We, focus, we cut ourselves off from really reflecting deeply on His Word because we don't have time for that. We cut ourselves off from deep listening instead of just firing off our lists of what we need. I should pound again because that's me. We, 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 we cut ourselves off often from seeking His guidance Instead, we just say, would you bless my plans? Instead of, God, what are your plans, the plans you have for me? We cut off often focused time with our family. And <laughs> let me just be real straight. I'm not talking about being in the car because, okay, now we got to get 5.30, we have to be here. And at 6.15, we have to be there. And then at 6.20, we have to be here. So that's our quality time together. The focus, quality, just being together time. You know, we end up cutting that off. 
And then instead of, if you have kids, instead of kids learning values as they're spending time with us and just seeing things, then we have to do that little sermonizing, which doesn't work. Now we've got to try to download all of our values into one little reprimand. You know? We, we end up cutting ourselves from Christian community, and I'm not saying cutting ourselves from a small group. A small group may or may not be Christian community. I'm talking about Christian community, which I hope is your small group or small group of friends, where you really have people in your life that can look you in the eye and say, I'm concerned about you. Or people that you can look in the eye and say, I'm con- I, I, I got something I got to talk to you about. You know, cutting ourselves off from those kind of relationships. For me, I mean, I, I cut myself from time outside. I need to be outside where I see the birds and I see the flowers and you don't really see them right now or anything like that. But I need that because that's all in the ways I get built up. A lot of us, we cut ourselves off from that, right? There's a God who knows what we need. He knows what we need. And when we follow in the footsteps of our culture, listen to this, we set ourselves up to be our own saviors. And I'm not over stating that either. When we seek first the king, the things of this world, when we seek first the things of this world, then it's up to us to achieve our dreams. See if, you, if you're not already, see if you can track with this. I don't know if I can explain it well. When we are seeking first the things of this world, I've got to get into this college, and we're so focused on that, then it is up to you. It is up to you. You better get the good grades, and you better do all those right activities because it's up to you now. You're the source of your salvation. You think, salvation, you think that what you need is that, that that school, all right, then it's up to you to figure out how to pay for that. It's up to you. And, and here's the thing. You're, you're setting yourself up to be your savior, and, and it's not within your control because if you get sick the night before that test, what if you get injured before the finals of that sporting event that you staked everything on? You know, do you see how that works? So no wonder we're stressed out because we don't say this in our head, but when we seek first our goals, when we seek first our plans, then we're setting ourselves up to be the savior and no wonder we're up at three in the morning, four in the morning, or we can't go to bed at night. No wonder we worry. Well, let me share you a thought. Um, I did wake up early this morning, primarily because my dog jumped on me, but then I couldn't fall back to sleep, and it may have all been related. I, this was not in my plans to say this until about four this morning. You can't do more than you can do. You can't do more than you can do. You can't get yourself into that college. You can't get that job. There's too many other things in play. You can't do more than you can do. But you know who can? God can. And that's why we need each other. That's what, the Bible says don't give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing because what happens is we get so swept up in the culture that we can just forget the things that are the main things, including seeking first the kingdom. Can God get you into that right college? Of course he can. Can he get you out without a lot of debt? Yes, he can. If you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and we'll, we'll come back to that one. I think next week. What I want to advise you against is cutting yourself off from the vine and just saying, God, bless my college plans. 
Can God open career doors that you could never open on your own? Yes! I mean, most of you have heard the stories about this church. I didn't plan to do this thing. This was totally God. Because how else does a person who's never worshipped in a covenant church on a Sunday have his first Sunday worshipping in a covenant church be his first service as a pastor in a covenant church that a Lutheran church helped to found? How does that even happen? Right? In a facility that he opened the doors to. I couldn't have done that. We couldn't have done that. God did that. Can God open doors? Yes, if we seek him first. If we seek him first. The same God who knows what it takes to give flight to birds. The same God who knows that a, what a flower needs to take a seed, a dead thing. You throw it in the ground and it's surrounded by dirt. It's buried and some water falls on it. And it comes alive and becomes a flower. God can do that. What can he do in you if you open yourself up and say, God, I'm fully here, all of me. Help me to seek you first and your righteousness. And not only that, God can also help you prune away relationships that are going to end badly. God can help you prune away behaviors that could lead to addiction. God can help you prune away from good things that you settle for instead of great things. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So let me offer you this question. This one does come from this book. It's a great question. I'm going to try my best to ask, ask this question throughout this series and beyond. What would your schedule look like if God were in charge of it? What a great question, isn't that? What would it look like if God was really in charge of it? What would a seek first schedule look like in your life? If you want to prime the pump, that book is a great start. Just start with chapter one. And, and I'm not trying to rip small groups. In fact, I hope you're not hearing that. A small group would be a great place to wrestle with a question like the one we just had on the screens. Because now you're not just talking principles. You've got people that can give you feedback because it gets complex. When is it faith versus family? When is it work versus family? When is it not a versus, right? When should you be devoting more time to work, to studying? And when not? These are the things that other brothers and sisters in Christ can help you discern, right? Helping taking general questions and 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 respond and help them customize your situation. So what we want to do today, very simply, is to invite you to say, today will you wrestle with that question? Not tomorrow, and I guess I know the playoffs are today. Will you carve out time to, to make time to say, I will wrestle with that question? And, and let me tell you this, as you wrestle with the question, you won't get all the answers. You can't. Life is too complex. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, Right? Will you wrestle with that question today? God, today, today, what does it mean to seek you first? Tomorrow, you get, tomorrow comes. What does it mean to seek you first? I, um, because it was uh, Martin Luther King Day, or it is Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, I, I was looking at some of the wonderful things that this man said, you know, over the course of his life. And here's a quote that really applies to us today, something that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, faith, it's taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Isn't that good? That's what I want to ask you to do today. We take that step and say, God, what does it look like to seek you first? Or even, for some of you, it might be even more preliminary step. I'm going to seek a seek first lifestyle. And as you ask tough questions like that, remember that God is good. He created birds to sing and soar 
He created flowers to bring forth beauty from dirt. And his plans for us are even better than that. Well, before we pray and seal this, I, I want to go back to the passage that we looked at. But this time I want to look at it from a paraphrase. There's a guy named Eugene Peterson, and he doesn't even attempt to um, translate the Bible word for word. He paraphrases it, but some of his imagery is just so right on. And here's how he paraphrased the end of the passage that we looked at. This is so good. And so he's, here he is quoting the words of Jesus using different language. He says, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss after all these things. But you, you know both God and how he works. So steep your life in God reality, in God initiative, in God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. Somebody needs to hear that. Don't worry about missing out. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find that your everyday human concerns are met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. That's his invitation to us. So let's pray to that. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that you are so good to us. Lord, we thank you for these life-giving words, these life-giving invitations. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you will help us to see these for what they are, life-giving. Lord, we pray for those who feel like they'll be missing out if they don't seek you first. Lord, I pray specifically for the person that feels like they're missing out if they're not having sex. Lord, we pray that you'll help them to see that you got something better. And Lord, for all those general things, whatever they are as the, the rest of the individuals here, Lord, would you, would you help them to see and remind us, Lord, that are trying to seek you first. Help us to remember that you are the God who helps birds soar and makes flowers beautiful. And that that's your intent for our life, to do good things, to help us bear good fruit. So help us, Lord, to take that step of faith, to seek you first, to, 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 to figure out what you would have us to do so that we could be attached to that vine and having those deep roots that are drawing from your unlimited power and your unlimited wisdom we may have the mind of Christ and the spirit of Christ alive within us, bringing life to our mortal bodies, raising us up from what was perishable to what's imperishable. Such things are, are so wonderful, too wonderful for us to fully comprehend, but I pray you give us just enough of that today, just enough of that today, that we could trust you and seek you with all our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like someone to pray with you today, there'll be people right there that would love to pray with you about this or anything. All right, next week we're going to go backtrack. We're going to look at what comes right before this. So if you want to read ahead, just uh, read the passage that comes right before this one. All right, God bless you. See you next week.